I hope I find out soon what I'm doing right now. I'm just working some stuff out here. I'm uh, I'm workshopping some things. The uh, the good part about you know you know your voice is uh, you know it it changes based on who you're interacting with. Kind of like I was talking about in the last episode, how you your personality changes based on who you're talking to. Your voice does too. And uh, something I've always been aware of is my voice changing from higher pitch to lower pitched and, you know, in between. You know, definitely in response to certain people. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't know how much it coincides with mood and things like that, but but definitely... I do feel like your voice changes in tone, in pitch, in probably many ways that we can barely perceive, but we do. You know, you, your voice does change in relation to certain people. And there was this moment in high school where this kid, and I guess he, he was just a normal kid, a soccer player type of kid, and he wasn't a friend of mine, just a kid in my math class. And there was a group of guys, a couple of them were my friends, a few of them weren't. But a group of guys who sat in the back of the class and we would just talk, random talk, you know, whatever people who aren't really friends talk about in high school. And this one kid, the soccer player, randomly one day just said, hey, do you guys ever notice that your voice gets higher pitched when you're at home talking to your parents? And nobody really said anything. <laughs> and uh, I think that's what you would call a vulnerable <laughs> admission. I think when people say, oh, thank you for being so vulnerable. I think that's what they mean. Because that's a vulnerable statement. You know, I, I don't like this this new manufactured vulnerability. But what I will say is that some kid randomly volunteering that his voice gets higher pitched when he's talking to his parents at home. I mean, that's scientifically interesting. <laughs> that That's actually scientifically interesting because it's like, it, and I'll, I have more I'm going to say about that because, you know, obviously this kid doesn't do this on purpose. He, he noticed that he does it and then he's asking his peers about it. And amazingly, you know, I'm, I'm, half-jokingly calling this a vulnerable comment, but it really is because, you know, out of all the things that kids can make fun of each other for at that age when you're teenagers, that's a pretty easy one. Hey, guys, do you ever notice that your voice gets higher pitched when you are at home talking to your old parents? You guys ever notice that your voice gets higher pitched when you're at home talking to old mom and dad? You ever talk... You ever... (laughs) Your voice gets even higher when you talk to your grandparents. It's like each generation that's still living, your voice gets even higher for them. Like you have great-great-grandparents still alive, and you're just like talking in this shriek. Do you guys ever notice that when you go to your great-great-great-grandpa's house that your voice just sounds like this like shrill, barely perceptible dog whistle shriek? That's how you talk to your great-grandfather. 
I made the mistake of talking to my great-grandfather in a a high-pitched voice, but it wasn't quite high enough. I was told that I need to up it, go up a couple notches. I had my ball sack, rem- I had my ball sack removed just so that I could communicate with my great-great-great-grandfather. He could only hear me if my voice was just imperceptibly high-pitched. And it was it was very important for me to absorb the family knowledge and energy of my bloodline from my great-great-great-grandfather. It was very important that I absorb that. So I had... I made myself a eunuch so that I could communicate in that high-pitched tone that it requires. No. Um, back to the kid's question, though. Just that, you know, beyond the fact that it took balls, interestingly enough, for him to say that in front of a group of random dudes in high school. But there's something to that. You know, you do do that. You do actually talk in a higher-pitched voice around your parents, at least up to a certain point. I don't know about into adulthood. Like, I don't think that seeing my parents in adulthood makes me talk in a high-pitched voice now. I think that'd be kind of weird if your adult son is just like, <laughs> he suddenly his voice suddenly gets a lot higher uh, when he's around his parents. But that, I think it is true, even when you're a teenager and your voice drops, that you do that. And that always lodged in my brain. This kid saying that lodged in my brain because nobody said anything in response. Nobody made fun of him, but nobody said anything. I think I actually said like, oh, interesting. Oh. Oh, yeah. You know, I think I acknowledged it somehow because it stood out, but nobody gave him a hard time or anything. But I always remembered that question. And uh, it came up again actually recently. And uh, I saw, I was actually talking to somebody and they were saying how people, people's voice gets higher pitched when they're seeking affection or approval or something to that effect from the person they're talking to or, or whoever they're talking to. And the example that they gave was pets. Like I've caught myself like, of course, with my cats in the past, but also Batty now, you know, I'll, I'll talk to him in a high-pitched voice, a voice that I would never talk to even a child with. You know, if, even if I had my own child, I would not talk to them in this ridiculous of a, of a falsetto voice. Even my own child I would not talk to like this. And yet I, but I still probably, I probably would talk to my child with like a high pitched soft voice, but I guess dogs are more ancient than children. So they're like your great, great grandfather where you have to talk to dogs in a slightly higher pitched voice than you talk to children with. Uh, it's, it's just, it's the same exact, the same rules apply, but really it's it, sometimes I'll think like, oh, wow, it is kind of weird that I talk to my dog like this. And of course I used to talk to my cats probably similarly, uh, but uh, what this person was saying got me thinking about how, you know, we uh, we make our our voices higher in situations where we want, uh, I guess, the approval or, or affection of whatever it is we're talking to. And you think about your pets actually do that to you, too. Like your dogs will whimper or let out more of a high pitched noise 
if they're begging or they they want your affection if they if they're begging for anything they'll make a very high pitched noise a pathetic noise and uh, I guess with cats, they just kind of have one tone. I don't know what to say about that. Cats just meow. I don't know if they get more high-pitched or not. Um, but it is something we do, and then the fact that we do that with our parents. Because for one, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, when your voice drops, why you almost want to show that off is to, you know, you're a man now. You sound like a man, and you don't want to be the guy with the highest-pitched voice in the room. Not that you want to have a fake voice, but just you, nobody really wants to be the guy with the highest pitch voice. So uh, what you end up with is uh, g- like boys on the street be like, hey, what up? What up, dude? Hey, oh, dude, what up, man? Dude, you're never going to get laid if you wear that. You blah, Whatever people talk about. You know, you'll have people like talking that way among their friends and they go home and they're like, you know, what's for dinner? What's for dinner? (laughs) It's that dramatic of a difference. Uh, No, but you you will have people who go home and their voice gets higher. But the fact that it's like they're not trying to outman their dad. Most people don't end up really trying to do that. You know, I mean, you can get all psych 101 about it. Every boy wants to kill and replace his father. You know, you can go into that weird direction with it. Um, for the most part, it's like I, like most most of my friends, for example, and speaking for myself, like I don't think that anybody is trying to outman their dad. No matter how old their dad is, no matter what their situation is, no matter whether they're a father or a husband or whatever my friends are. You know, no matter what their situation is, I don't really know anybody who who's trying to like be the man or, you know, whatever it is. You know, they're not trying to outdo their dad in that situation. And uh, I, I guess, where did I even get here? Um, what path did I take? Uh, <laughs> you know, people not trying to be their dad. Well, I guess, yeah, the the high-pitched voice thing where kids don't need to really try to assert their dominance over their father, so they're not going to speak in a lower voice. And you think, like, one of the reasons for a lower voice is it, it basically communicates, don't fuck with me. If you have a deep voice, even if it's artificial, like, I, I remember kids when I was a teenager talking with these booming voices, and you could tell that their voice, their voice had matured just enough but they constantly sounded like they were doing an impression of an old man where it was like this muffled fake deep, like I wouldn't even be able to do it. Uh, but just imagine like a 13 year old boy who's kind of like talking in this fake booming voice. Um, but it would make sense that, yeah, there's not really a need to try to like outdo your dad in most cases. So when you're at home, you're just a, you're just a regular old boy. He's the boy. Is the boy home? Oh, the the boy is home from school. Let's ask him. Let's ask the boy how his his day was. Oh, your voice is getting very low, boy. Pretty soon you won't be able to communicate with great great grandfather anymore. Your voice is so low he won't even know you're speaking. 
the dog can no longer hear you as it is. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, just just the fact that our voice changes based on what we want from other creatures. The fact that a higher pitched voice is less aggressive, it's softer, it's it's feminine, it's maternal. You know, nobody can talk to you the way your mom talks to you. You know, nothing can quite equate to, you know, like a mother's affection when you're a baby. Nothing can quite equate to that. And and that's what that high pitch, that's like the essence of what you communicate with a high-pitched voice. Like, when you, if you talk to your animals in a high-pitched voice, you know, that, you know, again, not to get too psych 101, but it's like you're communicating something maternal. Like, I certainly don't see myself as the mom of my cats. I don't even see myself as the dad uh, or, or my pets. You know, now I, I, I'm only a dog owner now. But, no, I don't, I don't see myself as, like, the father of my cats, I've never been into that. You know, I don't I don't judge people for calling themselves the dad or the mom of their pets, but it's just I've never thought of myself that way and it kind of it weirds me out to do it to be honest. Um I don't know, do people who have real human children refer to themselves as cat moms and cat dads? Do they also, or is that exclusively reserved for people who don't have human children? Because offhand, I can't recall seeing or hearing people who who are actual biological human parents calling themselves cat dads or cat moms or dog moms, dog dads. Dog dad. Hey, they call me dog dad. They call me dog dad. Oh, I don't even I don't own a dog. I've never owned a dog. That's just my nickname. They call me Dog Dad. Dog Dad, Dog Dad. Here comes Dog Dad. Y'all better run, cause here comes Dog Dad. Y'all better run, cause here comes Dog Dad. <laughs> really hamming it up here. But yeah, I've never gotten into the idea of like referring to yourself as the parent. It's companionship. How dare you call me a dog dad? This is this is companionship. I, you know that's that's kind of how I see it. Caretaker, companion. That's how I see everybody in my life. You just I'm I'm your caretaker. Oh, you didn't realize this, but I, I'm taking care of you. I'm taking care of you, all right. Yo, I'm taking care of you. I'm taking care of you. But uh, I like how taking care of someone could be both this very kind thing. I'm showing care. I'm helping somebody. Somebody's sick, and I'm I'm helping take care of them. Somebody's injured, somebody's old, and I'm helping take care of them. Or it's the complete opposite. Oh yeah, I took care of him, all right. He's floating down the river. He thought he was floating down the river of dreams. Uh, it turns out he's he's at the bottom of the Mississippi. At the bottom of the Mississippi. Yeah, we took care of him, all right. 
You want me to take care of him? So it, it both means this very kind, wonderful thing you can do to help somebody. And it also means the worst. I mean, it also means killing somebody. So kind of just kind of funny. Um, where were we at with uh, with the human voice with with male voices? I don't know. I don't know that I have too much to add on that. Just that kid's comment in high school always stood out to me. His vulnerable statement. Oh, you know what? I think what you said is. I think your question's actually hella stupid. But I just want to commend you on exposing your vulnerability to the back of the math class. I just want to thank you for exposing your vulnerability, dude. No, it was a good question. It wasn't a stupid question, you know. Do you notice that your voice... I mean, it's one of the most interesting questions I've ever heard. It's one of the most scientific, like naturally scientific questions I've ever heard a group of boys ask in the back of a high school classroom. You know, it's like there, there's obviously some sort of biology to that, that it's like your people, your elders, you defer to them by raising thy voice. You know, you raise your voice. You're, you have nothing to prove in front of your parents. You know, it's like, like they, you know, they, it's not that they loom over you. But, you know, it's like they they spawned you. You know, they created you. So you raise your vo- you raise the pitch of your voice when you speak to us, boy. Don't lower that voice. I mean, I've noticed it too. I, I've been on dates before with girls and stuff where you I notice. And it's, this is very rare, but it's you know on the on some occasion where I'm like really. Um, I don't know, I guess flirtatious. I don't really know how to put it in a way that's, that sounds even remotely acceptable for this show, for my own conscience. But I guess when I'm kind of acting that way, I feel that the girl's voice gets higher and mine gets lower. It's like this weird seesaw thing going on. And I, I've heard of that happening before. It's not just my observation. I've actually heard of that happening. And so... It's weird when you think of it that way. It's weird when you think of, you know, voices as as if they're in this pitch shifter where depending on the situation we're in or who we're interacting with, the voices naturally go up and down. And then when somebody else, like, <laughs> when somebody, when, when a teenage boy is trying to sound, you know, deeper voice than he actually is, we're like, damn, dude, you know, it's a little too much pitch shifter on that one. You know, you're using a little, listen, kid, you're using a little too much pitch shifter on that voice, that old voice there. Just wait, kid, just wait. You'll sound like all of us in, in two years, but right now everyone can hear it. It's like having a very loud reverb effect. It's like a, a teenage kid's walking around and his voice is just echoing with reverb. I, I only talk to people. Through a pitch shifter. <laughs> That'd be great, actually, to go around. They make those little uh, amplifiers that you can put around a belt. They're like very small electric battery-powered amps, and you can hook them to your belt, I guess. I've seen somebody do that. And then you plug a guitar in, and you see you can, you can go around with an electric guitar, and it's quiet, 
but still you have this little amp and it, there's distortion, you know, and stuff. Uh, but instead of putting a guitar through it, I'm imagining, uh, what am I imagining? Oh, it's, you know, instead of putting a guitar through it, you, you run the pitch shifter through it. You, you carry a microphone around with a little pitch shifter effect, maybe a pedal, maybe a, a pitch shifter pedal. Maybe you carry it around, and when you speak to people, you speak through that. So what they hear is your pitch-shifted voice everywhere you go. And uh, that's what, that should be the new thing. I mean, maybe that will be a new thing with all these changes, with all this technology. I'm kind of surprised this isn't a thing already. I'm almost imagining teenagers talking to themselves through pitch-shifters. But it's through their phone, of course. Like their phone has some sort of pitch shifter effect where if you talk, if you hold their phone up to your face and talk through it, it changes your voice. That has to exist. That seems pretty obvious. I mean, I feel like that's the kind of thing you would see in movies. You know, for, you know, sci-fi movies. I feel like that's just a given. Um, but that'll be the next thing is, you know, talking to each other in these different voices. Because so far we do everything else. I mean, we have all these superficial changes. You know, people get heavily tattooed, they get this hair, that hair, they're changing all kinds of things about themselves these days, uh, just modifying your body, body modding, modding, modding body, body modding, you know, it's it's something that people just do now, it's a given, and it's everywhere, uh, and so the next thing is voice modding. I mean, people are already doing it on on these things, in these videos. You know, I've seen it on with TikTok things, things like that, where people are able to talk through these filters. And it's the first time I've seen that done in a widespread way. It's not exactly what I'm imagining, although that's pretty close. It kind of shows that what I'm talking about is happening, where people make videos of themselves and they make themselves sound like anime characters. They're able to actually change their voice with these effects and do it easily. But what I'm imagining is people talking to each other in person, but holding their phones up to their face. And so, like, they're talking, like, through their phone in order to change the voice. I mean, not entirely different from, like, Scream. You know, if you ever saw the, the movie Scream, how the guys, at the end of the movie, you find out the killers are talking through these voice modulators that they can just hold up to their mouth and talk through. You know, and I think every kid who saw Scream back then wanted one of those. At least I did. At least I did. But uh, I didn't have one, so I had to try to figure it out on my own. I had to do natural voice modulation, organic, based on who I'm hanging out with. There's, there's some people who I talk through a voice modulator to. When I talk to my girlfriend's dad... I lower my pitch shifter uh, a pitch so that my voice is just like one notch lower. Because I don't, you know, I don't want to be, that's the thing. You want to be high pitched in front of your own dad and mom, but you don't want to be too high pitched in front of your girlfriend or your wife's parents, especially her dad. So you, what you do is with your, your pitch shifter, you, you're going to talk through to everybody. You lower it down a notch. Except maybe he's already lowered his, so it's just going to be this kind of competition where you both lower your pitch shifters to such a low murmur that nobody can hear anything, and you don't even know what you're saying anymore. You're now just two strange beasts 
making very quiet, low noises that nobody can understand. And would you have it any other way? Imagine that Christmas. Imagine that Thanksgiving. Imagine your mother-in-law's birthday. Imagine every family event involving you and your girlfriend's family devolving into you and her father talking in lower and lower processed tones through pitch shifters, making less and less sense, just a low-end murmur. Every family holiday, this is what you're going to get. This is your future. And I can tell you what uh, I can tell you what her daddy thinks. He thinks that she married the right man. And if you're not married yet, well, do you need to ask for daddy's approval? Do you need? Do you even need to ask for daddy's approval? <laughs> uh, it's like a match made in heaven. Who's really getting married here? Oh, I, I noticed that your your fiance, that he and your your father, they just do this weird thing where they talk through pitch shifters late into the night, making strange, unintelligible low end noises. You know, I kind of wonder who's who's really getting married, huh? You think they're getting married? I think I think your fiance and your father are the ones getting married, huh? That's what really happens in the future. That's that's my sci-fi story. That is my sci-fi story, is the one where people just change their voices. They've changed everything else. There's no longer a need to get tattoos. There's no longer a need to have a mohawk. There's no longer a need for anything. Which is why simply making strange noises... With your uh, with your wife's father, through through um, pitch shifters. That's that's how you get back, guys. You know, we're always wanting to get back. That's something a lot of people have in common. You know, conservatives want to get back. Conservatives have this idea of this. This is a romanticized idea of tradition, and the idea is that we will get back there, even though conservatives are continually losing ground. Like you, if you read conservative editorials from like the seventies, they're all about seatbelt laws. It's like seatbelt laws are the last stronghold of freedom. If they're going to tell us to wear seatbelts in our own cars, you know that is the road to government tyranny. And they're right. You know, when you think about a seatbelt, that's your business. A seatbelt is your own business. Traffic law, other traffic laws, no. Like speed limits, stoplights. When you break those laws, you're putting other people at risk. When you're driving drunk, you're putting other people at risk. But simply not wearing a seatbelt, that's your own health. That's your own well-being that you're supposedly protecting. And it should be up to the driver of a car to decide whether people have to wear a seatbelt in his car. But that seems like a strange thing to force on people in something that they own. They own their car, and you're telling them they have to strap this thing on just to drive it places, or they get, or they have to pay money, or they're punished. That's strange to me. Because you could see them doing that to people in their own homes. 
You know, you could see them finding ways to do that to people even in their own homes if it were intended for safety. Like, oh, you're not allowed to to use the bathroom at night without turning on the hall light. It's too dangerous. Too many people trip and fall. Too many people trip and fall in the hallway when they're getting up to, to go pee. We must mandate a law that says that people must first turn on their hall light. You know, it sounds ridiculous, but to me, that's not that far off. You know, you're regulating what someone does for their own safety within their own property. But you don't hear about that anymore. You don't hear about seatbelt laws anymore because conservatives gave that one up. Conservatives gave up on seatbelt laws at some point because it just became what's accepted. You wear seatbelts, the government makes you wear seatbelts, it's simply what you do. It feels strange, as someone who grew up in a generation where everybody was wearing seatbelts, where seatbelt laws were mandatory, growing up in that generation, it feels strange to drive without one. Even just on the beach, even in just short distances, you're so used to that feeling, you're so used to associating the feeling of a seatbelt against you, that it doesn't even feel like you're doing the same thing you do every day. Doesn't it, it doesn't even feel like you've ever driven before without a seatbelt. To me, at least. It, feel, it, you, it feels like you're at least driving in an entirely different way, even though you're not. You just don't have this thing against you. You don't have this thing against your chest, against your waist. That's the only thing that's different, yet it, it makes the whole experience feel really disjointed. Driving without a seatbelt? Are you kidding me? No, it, it, it's not that, you know, obviously it's not that big of a thing, but you do notice it. And, and you know, point being, conservatives gave up on that argument. They lost. But conservatives still want to go back to this these previous eras. They want to hold on to tradition. They want to maintain. In some cases, they want to go back, even though they're continually losing cultural ground. But then the funny thing is, is that there's a strong element of the left that wants that as well, where both people, both, both, I'd say the extremes of both sides, of both the right and left, believe we need to return to this earlier state where things were better. And with the left wing, it tends to be, they tend to believe in um, almost a superiority of primitive societies. Like, they tend to believe that early tribal societies, many of which are, you know, before there was historical record, that they had it figured out and they weren't prone to violence and warfare and even horror within their own people. You know, there's this kind of ten tendency to romanticize that period. And it's kind of what you see hippies emulating, you know, like living among the earth, you know, living as our ancestors did, but taking it back even further is sort of what we see, we've seen. I don't know if it's true anymore, but that used to be kind of the extreme on the left, is to take society back, you know, not just centuries, but, you know, a millennia or two. Uh, and so, you know, that was the idea, at least. That was the stereotype. And then, and the right wing, too, but not quite as far. It's like the right wing wants to go back maybe at the most 
a century, maybe two, depending on who it is. But it's like the right wing tends to want to go back, but not. It's like the right wing wants to hold on to more culture and then go back, but not quite as far as the left wants to go back. And the left also wants to destroy a much greater amount of culture. So it's just kind of this interesting dynamic. Uh, you know, and by destroy culture, I mean literally, you know, change what's celebrated. To change, you know, what sort of stories are celebrated, what sort of artwork is appreciated. You know, that's what I mean. Because uh, cause I do feel that that is a tendency of the left is to kind of try to destroy those things when they're out of alignment with whatever the left's ideal is at that given time, because it does change. You know, we talk about all these things like they're fixed. And like even just talking about seatbelt laws, you know, if, if, if this was like 30 or 40 years ago, somebody might say, well, you know, I'm a conservative because I, I'm just really against these darn seatbelt laws. You know, because that's a lot like the mask argument, which my mask, my mask argument is... Wear masks because you think masks are cool. The reason I wear a mask when I go places now is because I think masks look cool. If it protects people from the coronavirus, wonderful. But I'm not going to do it for some self-righteous reason. I'm going to go with the fact that I think having the bottom half of your face looks cool. I've always thought ski masks look cool. I don't think these kinds of masks are the coolest masks. But I do like masks that cover the lower part of your face like that. So, you know, wear masks for masks' sake because masks are actually cool. And you're living during a time where everybody's wearing masks. Like, when you know, you, you never would have imagined that happening. Even if you believe in some sort of nefarious plot, there has to be some sort of surrealist appreciation for the fact that you're living in a time where everybody just sees each other in masks all the time in public. And a lot of people are horrified by that. And a lot of people, a lot of conservatives see masks in the same way they used to see seatbelt laws. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know that... See, I mean, I, I wouldn't... There's definitely a comparison to be made between seatbelts and masks. But you know the where the argument splits is the fact that masks are something you're supposed to wear in public that you know protects you and protects other people from a potentially dangerous illness. I mean, I think I had coronavirus. I'm pretty sure I did, and my lung still hasn't recovered. Uh, so it's not that I don't. It's not that I don't believe in it. I'm definitely not a conspiracy theorist. I believe I had it. As many people did, I don't know, you know, but I, I, the only reason I believe I had it is because I was ill and now I have diminished lung capacity and I feel it and it coincides with getting sick in March, but you know, who knows, who knows? And I'm, I'm not eager to try to clear it up right now either. doesn't seem like a great time to try to clarify, um, so I believe in the coronavirus. At no point do I deny the coronavirus. But I also, I don't, you know, it, it is one of those things where 
this there's almost this fetishization that it goes along with it and part of that is the mask thing you know you, people pose in their masks people use the mask becomes part of their identity it's you know people enforce it they become hall monitors and i understand people are scared i totally understand that I, you know i i i understand where people are coming from but uh, it's interesting that masks alone put people in so many different places. Because, yeah, like, like I think masks are different from seatbelts, like I was getting at, because they affect the health of others in addition to you, whereas a seatbelt, in theory, just affects you and the people in your car, uh, which, are you know, again, I think a driver should be allowed to enforce that rule if he wants to or she wants to. Um, but uh, beyond that, you know, I don't like the idea of enforced seatbelt laws, but a mask is a trickier subject, and I do believe in coronavi. Therefore, you know, I I believe masks are necessary in in some situations. You know, I sound like a politician right now talking about this, but I mean, I think there are situations where you should be required to wear a mask, even if it's just mental. Even if it's just for a mental reason. But I think when you start celebrating the whole mask identity thing, when you it, it again comes back to the little politicians. Because, you know, I've talked a lot about people seeing themselves as these little politicians who need to make these statements. To not just support political causes, but to they, they kind of put themselves out there as these little politicians where, like, I stand for this. And uh, here's why you should be believe in this. You know, it, it, we we all see it. We all we all know people like this who become these little politicians on their public platforms when they're just people you know. Um, but it, you know, in that little politicians way, the little politicians way. It's the name of my children's book, The Little Politician. How the little politician found his way. But in the same spirit of that little politician idea. You know, you can see where the mask thing has become a part of that. Where we've seen how politicians themselves will take pictures posing in masks. There was the really dramatic one the New York guy did. A really embarrassing video he made promoting masks. And, you know, many times these hypocrisies are revealed. These people pose in masks. They preach masks. They enforce the rules against the common people and then we find out they're breaking the rules and not wearing masks and when the cam when they think the cameras are off them so you know of course there's a whole bunch of horse shit that goes along with all this stuff and the elites um but i guess just where i come from is like the sort of mask virtuing you know it started with the term signal virtuing um or vir- sorry virtue signaling signal virtuing virtue signaling and and so it, it it's become you know these other things too where virtue signaling when that term became popular it tended to be some of the what are now old hat issues on the left like it used to be some of the more obvious issues like coming out against just simple racism sexism homophobia that was sort of what virtue signaling originally referred to but like everything these days, it's splintered and mutated to where I think virtue signaling mutated into what I'm calling the little politicians, which is where just your coworker, your neighbor, these people you know, have suddenly become these 
um, they almost operate the same way a political representative would. Like they have to make statements about every big event in the news. They seem to be constantly pushing something, constantly declaring something, constantly trying to show that they are allied with this or that. It's a lot like watching a pol- like someone role play a political campaign, and I and I hesitate to even give it that much because it's it's like. It's a, it's a, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I won't even, I don't even need to come up, come up with other examples, but it it is kind of like watching someone like mimic a politician on the internet or something. It's like this, like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll just keep it at that. Cause it's just, it's just a weird thing you see, but then masks become a part of that. All these other things have become a part of that recently. Cause since everything has been so politicized and everything gets associated with something, like every single thing that happens that is worth talking about on a public level seems to be attached to something political. And I don't think the politics are the end of that chain. Like I think if you follow the paperwork there, politics are are what most of what we see when we think of like where all of this goes, but I think at the political level that's just sort of the gate rather than the end like that gate opens up and goes and the road goes somewhere else but because we just see the gate up ahead that's what we think of as the destination uh and uh yeah this sounds very vague and kind of you know does sound like a new world order sort of thing which i don't know if it is you know i don't know if i don't know if that exists i don't know how that all works <laughs> i don't know how the new world order works uh but you know I do believe things keep going. I do believe that things keep going deeper. And to think that, you know, all of this, all the tra- all the trails lead to US politics as some sort of end destination just doesn't sound right to me, you know. I I think that's sort of the gate. That's the big gate, but that opens up and there's a whole lot of other stuff inside once you get inside there. Um. Yeah, this has been a, a quite a free for all tonight, and I already did. I, I already was talking for almost two hours earlier. But it's you know I'm in a mood. I'm in a mood. Um. Yeah, it's I don't know. I'm I'm sort of tuning things out right now. I'm kind of in in sort of a drop. I'm I'm in sort of a catabasis, sort of a little bit of a drop. I was. I felt like I, I felt like my ship was running pretty tight, and then I, I've just felt like it's gotten kind of loosened up a little bit, um, which translates in human terms, which translate translates in practical terms to like eating too much, too late, feeling bloated day in and day out, messing up my sleep schedule. That's what I mean. Those, those practical ways that these things play out. But it's all right. I feel like this is the time to for that to happen. I feel like this is the time for that to happen. Um, I guess, I don't know, I'm feeling like I, I lost a note here. Uh, like I missed a note. You know, I guess there's not too much more interesting stuff to say about masks that, that hasn't been said before. Although I, I do stand by what I said months ago. 
and that I continue to believe now, which has just been do what you're comfortable doing and sustain that. Like I'm, I haven't been living any differently over the past seven months than I, than I was at the beginning of March when all this started, you know, I wasn't, I, I made a decision like when people were hysterical about everything you touch is covered in it. Wash your vegetables when you get home from the store. You know, when things were at that level, I was just like, you know, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm going to be careful about what I touch. I'm going to wear gloves. I'll wear a mask to the store. I'll wear a mask if I'm in a, a very concentrated area of people. Because I like masks, you know. I think it's cool that I have an opportunity to wear masks into stores. I think it's... I don't think we're going to be wearing masks forever. I'm not one of these people who... I mean, I see a lot of conspiracy theory type talk about that where it's like, they're going to keep us in masks forever. <laughs> Human beings are going to wear masks forever because of this. Even if this all this was all a conspiracy to control people, even if coronavirus was simply a mental trick designed to corral people and uh, get people under control. It's funny to me to think that people are people believe that that the situation right now will result in people wearing masks forever. <laughs> like because I think there's a whole bunch of other reasons to worry about what's happening you know, on, on every level of our society, but definitely in government. I mean, I think there's reason to worry about some of the, some of what, what might happen in terms of, you know, arrest, prosecution, some of the, some of the actions that might take place because of people breaking these coronavirus laws like masks and, you know, just safety precautions, which, you know, on the whole, some of them make sense. Some of them make more sense than others. But it's like I, I'm more worried about laws being put in place that can then be used for other purposes later. I think that's a, legit, a legitimate concern because we've already seen that happen with surveillance. It's not that that doesn't happen. It definitely does happen. And... Uh, you know, that's my biggest concern. It's not that we're going to actually be wearing masks forever. It's that some other shit is going to get snuck in, intended to control people's behavior during the pandemic, and that that's going to make it easier to control people later. Uh, you know, that's that makes sense to me. I understand that. But, uh, yeah, no, it was important to me, though, to whatever I did in March, I wanted it to be sustainable. And some of the people who freaked out the most are also some of the people who kind of broken, uh, taking the biggest risks. I'll say that. I don't want to say broken the rules. Uh, you know, a friend of mine had a roommate and she was completely maniacal about cleanliness during like the first month of coronavirus. And she, you know, she was cleaning every surface multiple times a day, you know, washing her counters you know, it was just it, it was exactly the hysteria you you saw everywhere at the time, and then uh, she cracked though. Like it wasn't sustainable for to be at that level, even when things quieted down. Like I mean, she still she couldn't maintain 
quite the level that you needed to maintain. So she completely cracked and then was taking all these risks, like way greater risks than she, you know, than, than, than my friend was taking who, you know, what he was doing was just pretty much sustainable. But his roommate, she, she just really went off where it was like she, she was going so, she, it's from one extreme to another. It's like she was trying so hard to stay away from this bug and taking so many extreme precautions that she crashed. And then, then she was seeing random people, you know, just not, not, you know, not being as safe as she could. And I think anytime there's a situation like that, it's like, yeah, even if there is an ultimate safest way to be, I still think you have to look at it from the beginning and say, what can I personally maintain through any condition? Like when they lightened the standards here, when they raised some of the standards here for a while, I mean, we're back down under lockdown, but when they raised the standards here again or whatever you call it, like when they when we moved to a new number where more stuff could open, I didn't change anything I was doing. I have not changed anything that I'm personally doing in my own life since March. I go outside a lot. I go to the store when I need to. I wear a mask. I wear gloves. I was doing that in March, and I did it all summer, you know, and I'm doing it now. So nothing has really changed for me personally, because I just, I, it was very important for the whole, for for everything I do to be sustainable. And the people I know who I think have had the easiest time, not that it's, I don't want to say easiest time, but people who have made the best use of Coronivi are people who did make an effort to, to, to have a sustainable routine. You know, I think that they are, we are, because I think I'm one of these people, you know, just making an effort to have a sustainable routine, not a perfect routine, but what's going to be sustainable through this period of time indefinitely in case something weird does happen, in case, as we're experiencing now, there's a winter lockdown. It's just, it's... Um, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's an important approach to things that you can take is like, what's going to be sustainable. And I mean, I guess it's kind of a tortoise in the hare story where, you know, I mean, it's pretty much exactly what it is. Like if you look at my friend and his roommate, his roommate was the hare. She's like storming ahead, you know, just overdosing on cleaning supplies, freaking out about every little thing, every little point of contact, the mail, all of the hysteria that we are hearing and just like the hair running ahead faster, you know, you're going to crash from that. You're going to drop, you know, you're going to sleep. You're exerting way too much energy to sustain, you know, what you might need to end up doing here. Whereas what the tortoise does is it's like not impressive. I mean, here I am fucking explaining the tortoise and the hair. Welcome to 2020. Have you ever heard of the tortoise and the hair? Have you ever heard of the tortoise and the hay? Have you heard of the, the tortoise and the hay? Hey? Have you heard of the hay? <laughs> um, no, here I am in 2020, like, acting like I have this amazing analogy. It involves the tortoise and the hare. How's the tortoise and the hare? Uh, here, I, here we are. This is, uh, this is the, the new world we live in. But it does fit, you know, it does fit where... You know, my friend just took the slow route. He established a routine. 
And while he wasn't, uh, you know, spraying bleach on the counter every time he brought bags in from the store, uh, you know, what he did was sustainable, whereas his roommate just totally crashed and was, the next thing you knew, she was breaking all the rules. Friends coming from out of town. Just interesting, because I've seen that play out with different people, too. It seems like the people who had a lot of momentum to begin with, too, who like put a lot of stock into the quarantine experience. Oh, hey, everybody, just participating in the quarantine experience, watching a lot of Netflix. I'm planning a half hour a day to to be creative. I'm, I'm, I'm spending another half hour a day to look out the window and remember nature. Hey, I'm just looking to connect with other families who are participating in the quarantine experience. <laughs> I mean, that's how it felt. There's these people who like really invested at the beginning of, of quarantine. You know, with this like, we're just... Oh, today, today's the day where everybody in quarantine makes turkeys out of their hand. It's not even Thanksgiving. We don't have Thanksgiving anymore anyway. But it's, it's the time of quarantine where we trace our, our hand on a piece of paper and cut it out and decorate it like a turkey. Because that's what all the families are doing on Tuesday, March 16th of, of quarantine. You know, that was the sort of feeling I had. Just watching everything play out. And I'm trying not to be too much of an asshole about it. But it really was this sort of like, I've rediscovered what it's like to look out the window. I noticed there's a plant outside. Here's a picture, everybody, of the plant outside my window. Who here remembers nature? Hey, uh, you're you're seven years old. I bet you don't. I bet you don't remember nature, do you, boy? You've been in quarantine for three months. I bet you forgot about nature. Oh, your brain reset. It's what happened to me when Donald Trump's fail got elected. Nothing ever happened before that. When Donald Trump's fail got elected president, my brain reset like a computer, and I forgot everything else that ever happened before that. <laughs> And uh, I know that you are seven years old and that coronavirus has only been around for three months. But do you remember a time before coronavirus, young man? Did you know that there used to be cell phones with, with a headphone jack? Did you know that Netflix used to sell, that Netflix used to rent you DVDs in the mail? Did you know there used to be only three Star Wars movies? I don't even know. This has become a really weird sermon. <laughs> it's it's late. It's late at night here. Uh, <laughs> Did you know? I don't I don't know what this character has become. I don't even I don't even know who this character is talking to. I know that he's like talk. I know that I'm making fun of people who kind of yeah. I'm making fun of the nostalgia industry. You know, I'm making fun of that for sure. But I forgot who this guy was even talking to. 
Did you know that laser tag used to be a fun game that people, that boys would play together? It didn't refer to laser graffiti like it does now. Laser graffiti. Yeah, I remember when graffiti was, was made with the Kansas spray paint. Cans of lasers. Yeah, that's about all I got. You know, a big dose of episodes here tonight, Wednesday. Just some some wild ideas out into the night. That's that's all I got here today. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free.